Hello, everyone. Welcome to Setter Talk. I am your host, Kyle Warren. This podcast is sponsored by Embark Vet and Dr. Tim's Pet Food. Embark Vet is a DNA testing company focused on helping breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts understand and improve the genetic health of their dogs. Embark's DNA test provides a comprehensive assessment of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. Embark's DNA testing process was created in partnership with Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine, and test results are accepted by OFA and other leading canine health organizations. To learn more, visit EmbarkVet.com forward slash breeders. And by Dr. Tim's Pet Food, created by veterinarian and accomplished musher Dr. Tim Hunt. Dog food formulas promoting stamina, endurance, and performance through proper nutrition. Dr. Tim's has been fueling champions for many years in the Iditarod, the field trial circuit, and hardworking hunting dogs all across North America. To learn more about the trusted source of nutrition for the canine athlete, visit drtims.com. Today on the show, we have Kevin Erdvig. Uh, Kevin is a new upland hunter, just been in, in the game for a couple of years now. He has a nice young setter, and uh, he has a little interesting background uh, with being a professional filmmaker and photographer, um, and very involved in uh, doing outdoor filming, including for Project Upland. Uh, thought it would be nice to have a, a new hunter uh, on our show and uh, just uh, get a fresh perspective and he's got a lot of really cool experiences that he's ex- uh, had over the first uh, couple of years of his time in the uplands um, so I hope you enjoy the show we had uh, two momentary points of technical difficulty so I apologize for uh, two different choppy spots where we lost a tiny bit of material but it was a nice conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Setter Talk. I'm your host, Kyle Warren. Uh, today, we have a uh, guest, Kevin Erdvig. Uh, Kevin, we want to invite you to the show and bring us uh, kind of up to speed on how you got into the Upland community, and I know you've been very passionate the last few years, so um, welcome, and uh, please tell everybody about yourself. Hey, thanks. It's uh, great to be on with you, chatting with you. Um, I've been following. I, I have. I haven't hunted behind Paint River Dogs, but I've met some, and I've been uh, following along your journey as well. So it's cool to finally get to chat with you a little bit and uh, kind of tell you a little bit about myself, and also looking forward to just getting to know you as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I did not grow up hunting at all. I, uh, I inherited some shotguns, uh, from my grandfather who did some hunting, but I didn't have a chance to hunt with him. Um, he passed when I was uh, probably 12 or so. Um, but I grew up on Long Island, which was not a great hunting, uh, location. I did take my hunter safety course and my dad went with me and, you know, he didn't grow up hunting or anything, but he was happy to go along with me. And we actually went out, uh, I put this in quotations, turkey hunting, Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the fall, I believe, and we did not see anything and had no idea what we were doing. But I loved being out in the woods holding the gun, and it was just something I knew that I wanted to do. It just wasn't the right time. Um, so fast forward to college, and I was going to college in Pennsylvania, which was near my uh, 
my family farm that my grandparents owned. And so I stowed my guns there and would just started by walking the field shooting at doves. And uh, it was with an old LC field grade side-by-side 16 gauge. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And I I loved the wing shooting aspect. Um, And I just slowly started hunting more things. And uh, I actually got into upland hunting overall, though, from... Uh, working with AJ from Project Upland. I I had found their account from a friend and I reached out to him and started asking questions. I went to school for filmmaking and photography, so um, started asking him some questions about if they had any opportunities for more filmmakers or anything like that, and he sent me a test project. So I filmed a goose hunt in Pennsylvania here and I sent it to him, and it must have not been half bad because here I am... <laughs> You know, four, four or five years later, and um, and now I'm their lead filmmaker. So it's been kind of a journey through that. Um, but that that's how I first saw upland hunting. I, I really didn't know anything about grouse or definitely not about woodcock. Um, I probably could have pointed at a pheasant if you said, hey, which of these birds is a pheasant? And it was next to, like, you know, a robin and a, a blue jay or something. I could have told you. Um, but I, I really didn't know much about it. I... I uh, started filming with him and filming some other projects, and I start seeing this whole kind of outdoor recreation, this whole sport, this whole lifestyle that I had never known, but I immediately fell in love with it. And so I got a setter two years ago. He'll be two in May. Um, So we're coming up on two years of... uh, you know, causing trouble together throughout the, uh, the, mostly the East Coast, but pretty much wherever we go. So that's kind of how it all started. I, I I first filmed it, fell in love with it, fell in love with the lifestyle, and and kind of just jumped in head first. Yeah, well, that sounds uh, <clears throat> that sounds awesome, and it, it certainly uh, you know once once it settles in your blood, it's uh, it's uh, not something that anybody really shakes. So. Uh, welcome, welcome to the clan. Um, so just, uh, listen to you kind of chronologically, uh, lead up to present day. Um, you know, I mean, it's actually a great, while, while I'm sure you would have in, in hindsight, love to have gotten into, um, upland hunting and upland hunting with dogs, uh, perhaps earlier in your life. Um, uh, you know, if you were involved with, um, Project Upland for, a couple of years, um, obviously then you, you, you got to be around a lot of dogs and, um, mm-hmm. you got, you, you kind of did things in the right order rather than, um, you know, uh, just grab a dog and then, you know, and then get involved. Um, I think, uh, uh, that was a, a, a nice sequence of events that led up to you getting a dog. Um, so tell us more about your dog specifically. So his name is Torfin. Uh, I'm, Oh, my dad's side of the family is from Norway, and I actually got to travel there for the first time this year, and it's just something that, you know, I think is really neat, is their culture and stuff. Um, but so Torfin means white thunder in Norwegian, um, but we he pretty much just goes by Finn or whatever other concoction of nicknames we come up with. But but he's uh, he's two in, two in May. He is, uh, I got him from a breeder out here in Pennsylvania. Um, a Ryman Setter breeder, uh, DeCoverly, uh, but he is only half DeCoverly. The other half is actually um, a Jerry Coulter dog, 
Um, okay. So he's kind of, kind of a hybrid. I don't know some mm-hmm. some sort of mix, which is I mean the original Ryman's you know were, you know a mix of the show and the and the field and the athleticism mm-hmm. of the field. So he, uh, if you stand him next to Jerry's dogs or you stand him next to Decoverly dogs, you he he kind of looks more like Jerry's. Uh, he mm-hmm. doesn't have a super long coat. Um, Bailey describes describes him as being all lip and legs. And it's true. He's he's pretty tall, um, but he's he's pretty sleek, and then he's got a nice big blocky head, which I love. So, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but that that's kind of where I got him. Uh, and it's funny, it's funny. You you commended me for seeing all these different you know breeds and before jumping in, and I I I gotta come clean. I didn't didn't nearly wait as long as it, I made it sound. It was <laughs> you know went on a couple hunts and said, "Yep, I'm into this." Um, and I was, and even, even my breeder choice, I'm, I'm going to say it, it's mildly embarrassing, but my breeder choice and, um, I, I went to them because I was looking to actually do work for them to mm-hmm. do, to make a film for them. Yeah. Um, and they were, they said, they were like, so we could probably, you know, pay you, uh, cash or, you know, we'd also be you know, interested in giving you a puppy if that's something you're into. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know, you know, what I want yet. I know I want a puppy, but I don't know if I want mm-hmm. a setter. So I went there and I saw some dogs and they were, they were pretty sweet. And I just, I kind of fell yeah. in love with the setter by watching theirs <laughs> run. And I was like, yep, decision made. We're going setter. Yeah. And yeah. I'd started to read about, you know, I hunt mostly New England, mm-hmm. um, but I uh, was doing reading and it's, it's really the, you know, the, the grouse dog, if, if you're going to hunt grouse mm-hmm. and woodcock, you, you, you can, you can hunt them with anything, but if you're going to, if you're going to jump all in, I think setter is a good way to go. I'm sure you'll agree with me there. Yeah. That's, that's this, this, uh, conversation isn't going to involve an argument on that subject. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, that's cool. Um, so, uh, tell us a little about the, the films, uh, that you have done, um, with project Upland up to this point. Uh, so I've, I've done a, a good amount thus far. Um, this year I filmed six of them. So we got, one was in Maine with Rough Grouse and Woodcock. One was in Sweden. That film just came out. Uh, it was called Lapland Grouse and we were hunting Capricali and Black Grouse and Ptarmigan. Um, I did, uh, the one that just came out in the fall was the one with Stephen Faust. That was one of my favorites that I've done. Um, mm-hmm. And what else did we film this year? We went to New Mexico and did some uh, filmed scaled quail. Um, another film is about me and AJ and our dogs, and we did that in North Dakota, Minnesota, and also in New Hampshire. Um, well, else did I film? There's another one in there somewhere. It'll yeah. surprise us all when it comes out, but <laughs> it's somewhere in there. I don't don't quite remember. But we we did six this year, so cool, it's cool, been pretty fun. Um, I I did just watch the Lapland Grouse one, but um, uh, care to share any any filming experiences with uh, you know going over there and and getting to see uh, that country? I mean, obviously it's neighboring Norway. Um, on my mother's side of the family, I'm Norwegian, and I'm very close to that side of the family. And I, I actually, oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was over the Norway for the first time uh, back in, uh, oh, what was it? I guess it would be 2018. And oh, okay. uh, we, we did an, a, a, a nine-day road trip, my wife and I, with our 
with our uh, one-year-old daughter, and uh, it was awesome. I only saw one ptarmigan <laughs> on the road. Man, but, um, I'll tell you, you what. Know. We were when I so I went to Norway and Sweden. I filmed in Sweden for Project Upland, and then in Norway I filmed for another small brand that I work for. Um, and we were on a hike in Norway, and it had to been like ten rock ptarmigan come shooting up and over the fjord over my head and it was just like it was so cool because we were yeah we had just traveled through the mountains and you know you go through the mountains and then all of a sudden the world just falls down because it's a mile <laughs> down to sea level and these ptarmigan yeah. just come skyrocketing up that was that was pretty cool that was definitely one of the coolest yeah um one of the coolest uh bird uh uh, contacts there but in sweden it was it was pretty awesome the the capricali were like jake turkeys i mean they were just mm -hmm. massive yeah. so that was fun um and just the just the terrain was so different i mean it's it's what i imagine alaska and like northern canada is you know with that like it's like that subarctic where it's super mm -hmm. like mushy and uh all the like tundra really so yeah it was mm -hmm. it was pretty cool yeah, yeah, and the the birds were relatively plentiful for you guys to be able to yeah, get around. When, on when when we found them, there were a lot. So mm -hmm. there was some dry spells where we were figuring out cover and stuff. Um, but for the most part, when we got into them, there was there was always plenty of birds to be seen. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun. They they don't get a ton of pressure over there. The Capricali get some pressure in. Um, in the winter, they they go and they shoot them off the top of trees. No. But they don't they don't get a lot of dog pressure. They, what's funny is the first week of the Swedish season is a week before the Norwegian season, so a lot of Norwegians will come over and hunt. And Norway has a lot more hunters than Sweden for birds, with especially mm -hmm. with dogs. But mm -hmm. what what I found is a lot of the a lot of the culture there is like. You you load up your pointers and your setters in a heli or the wealthy do in a helicopter, yeah. fly to the top of a mountain and hunt ptarmigan. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of guys chasing the forest species, yeah, um, with dogs. So you, they kind of yeah. had the the run of the place to ourselves, which is really yeah. Cool. It's funny you say that. You know, um, uh, you might know him and maybe you've connected uh, through social media, but uh, Andrea Cavaglia, um you know, he's an Italian. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And his, uh, that's, uh, I had, um, uh, purchased a, a dog from his father, uh, last year. And I was over there last year. My dog training. Um, the other would be Jason Carter up in Maine. Um, I mm -hmm. would say those two have definitely imparted the most, um, dog centric wisdom, um, mm -hmm. to me. And then I would say probably AJ DeRosa and then Jacob, uh, Wolfgang. Uh, both mm -hmm. of them, Jacob has become one of my closest friends and we met on social media and he was, he took me out even before I had Finn and took me out woodcock hunting and grouse hunting over his dog. Um, so, and from those two, I probably learned, I mean, the other two were more, um, more like how to train Finn and things like yeah, that. And then from sure. AJ, AJ pretty much taught me how to, you know, like really hunt grouse and, mm -hmm. Um, Jacob would, I would say the same. So they, they, those four have been, you know, great mentors to me, um, and really imparted a lot of, a lot of wisdom, you mm -hmm. know, and kind of helped propel me forward. Um, but as far as, as far as bringing other people out, man, I, I like to hunt by myself, but I love watching other people and showing other people what I'm obsessed with. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fun to, you know, 
they say I'm crazy and then I bring them out and show them how much fun it is. And that's nice. But, um, this year, yeah, this year, Finn, uh, we helped three people shoot their first woodcock. Um, one was a buddy of mine, his dad, who'd grown up in Maine shooting partridge <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as they call him up yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but had never shot one with a dog. So we sure. had gone out for just a, a little afternoon hunt. Um, and it was just incredible. Finn did, had some really nice work on some woodcock and he, the guy ended up shooting his first woodcock and it was just, he, he looked at me, he said, I'd never hunt another way. I'd never <laughs> hunt another way. And yeah. he was just, he was just overjoyed and seeing that was sweet. And then a friend of mine, uh, Emily Slisky, she had yet to shoot a woodcock. She'd shot grouse, but hadn't shot a woodcock and Finn, um, Finn had, man, she, he probably had gave her four or five birds and some of them just didn't work out how we approached it or in that, um, which is a whole nother thing, like trying to, you know, in your mind, you know how you want to approach it, but then trying to figure out how to get someone else who like in position to approach it is a whole nother thing. And that, that can be tough, but she, she ended up shooting two. That was great. Um, another buddy of mine got shot a limit over him, which was awesome. And then one of my favorites was a young man named Nate. Uh, and that was here locally in PA. And I, I took him out to my family farm just to get him comfortable with a shotgun. He had never, he'd shot at maybe moving targets once before. And I set him up with the little, the little skeet launcher and I set him up and I said, no big deal. We're just gonna, you know, we're just here to shoot a little bit. Um, and he ended up smashing the first six in a row that were coming from behind him. I said, okay, (laughs) I moved it out to the right of him and he shot, he missed two and then shot six in a row. So I was like, okay, well now we're here to hunt. So we went and we walked for doves and he shot a dove and I said, okay, you're ready. You're ready for, uh, you're ready for woodcock hunting. Um, and it was actually funny. We, we moved a woodcock when we were looking for dove, which is just, it, it was just during the migration. It was an absurd place for a woodcock to be. I said, why didn't you shoot at it? He goes, there was a bush in the way. I was like, oh, buddy, you're going to learn quick that bushes uh, bushes are just a mild <laughs> obstacle when we're out there chasing upland birds. So the next week we went out, and he uh, we didn't find many birds. We found one fin-pointed. Uh, we both walked up, and he actually had to do like a 180 and with impeccable muzzle control, put it up in the air around me, and spun around and shot it out of the air and it was just it was a really really cool moment so yeah all that to say i i i really do enjoy um bringing people out especially when it's their first time and they're just learning and stuff like that it's just i i know that when i was starting i was you know overly joyed and excited and grateful for people taking me out you know bring me to their spots let me trusting me over shooting over their dog and all that so yeah i just it's it's fun to you know do the same yeah well you still sound excited so that's good <laughs> yeah yeah um, they're, they're, those stories will will have me going until october yeah 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 so which um we always want to hurry up and get it here and then it goes so fast right yeah uh, yeah <laughs> um so tell tell me a little bit about your uh your uh little uh red ghost setters as you um, oh yeah a little group of friends yeah so it's me and me and my buddy jacob yeah. um so he just he just got uh uh his first setter um who's turning out to be a nice little dog um but it just honestly i just i felt bad for my instagram followers that didn't care about hunting as many pictures as i wanted to post about hunting so i just <laughs> i just that's just a place for me to dump stuff yeah um, that's that's a, that's so. a 
good but thing. But we we uh I I'm sure other people have called them this, but I kind of call the grouse around here the red ghosts sure. here in PA cuz yeah. there's a couple of a couple of gray phases you'll find up near our the New York border, but for the most part they're all red. Um, yeah. so so yeah, yeah. I just kind of call them red ghost and uh, kind of just went from there. But yeah. you know, I'll make a hat or two for myself and put one up there <laughs> if anyone wants one. But it's just more a place to put photos and share, you know, our, our Upland experience. That's that's pretty yeah. much all it is. I, um, you know, I, I grew up uh, and, and lived uh, most of my life, all my life in uh, upstate New York. So I... I hunted the Catskills, the Adirondacks, uh, a little bit of Southern mm-hmm. Tier, not not too much, um, and um, you know, so that habitat, um, you know, comparatively speaking, I would I would say uh, might have a lot of consistencies, obviously, with uh, Pennsylvania um, grouse habitat, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, you mentioned that you're out in Lake States, you know, like Minnesota. Um, uh, while you haven't been hunting both those types of covers for years, you know, uh, I'm sure, and even I'm not sure where you, if you went down to Stephen and in, in uh, uh, North Carolina or not, but just uh, the the different the different uh, habitat types and environments that that the grouse can be in um, for a new hunter and getting to travel as much as you have already. Um, uh, you know, what what are your experiences or feelings on on having hunted grouse in or at least film them in these different parts of the country yeah so uh it's diverse it's it's amazing you know where where these birds have been able to survive especially in you know a lot of appalachia they're um you know the habitat sparse for sure i i i don't know the um I, I wouldn't, I'm not a biologist by any means, obviously. So, I, but I believe that, you know, our mountain laurel have preserved our birds for a while down here and down, you know, south yeah. of us, just because we don't have the, the timber harvest that we used to. Um, but we, we, the mountain laurel is a tough place to hunt birds just because there's so much density and not. Yeah. Not like those pockets that you know you're looking for in a lot of places, um, mm-hmm. but we we do have, especially um, in central north central Pennsylvania, can be very good, and that's that's probably pretty similar to um, some parts in New York. Um, what I've found in New York, and I'm sure you can, you know, agree or or disagree, but uh, a lot of it's like that old farmland that's just taken a while to grow back. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And we we find that in PA, but I don't think we have as much as of that kind of cover as you guys have in New York. Um, yeah, in New York it's very much uh <clears throat> it's very much uh old farmland. You know, as I, yeah. as I like to call them timeless covers. I mean, while the while there might not be much cutting going on in New York at all, um you just have all of those orchards, hawthorn groves on the edges of uh-huh. hay fields and, you know, uh uh, Roosevelt era uh, uh, conifer stands and uh, just mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know all the stone walls and there's a, there's a lot of consistency with uh, uh, a lot of a lot of New York cover just because we don't have that um, contiguous contiguous forest you know and the Adirondacks 
you know, there's not a lot of cutting either. So there's uh, on public land. Um, yeah. So, uh, you I, know, I heard, though, I heard, yeah. though, that Adirondack, that New York is taking a little bit different approach that is going to include some more cutting. So that's cool to hear. Yeah, um, that would be good. Yeah, for sure. But um, I, I think the hard part in Pennsylvania, too, is the um, I, I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and a lot of people say like our lowlands, you know, our, our nasty, thick lowlands used to hold grouse. But I'm assuming it's the and I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming it's the West Nile that has knocked out a lot of our birds at those lower elevations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of that would have been like thick, nasty, overgrown farms and, you know, like hedgerows and you know, thick cover like that, that in our lowlands that you drive by and you're like, well, it looks kind of grousy. But a lot of times those spots don't have them. We have to end up driving up into the mountains or just getting into higher elevation. Yeah. New Hampshire and Maine are probably my favorite places to chase grouse, especially in northern New Hampshire, Uh, Mm -hmm. just because I love the elevation. I love I love hiking up a hill and shooting grouse on my way up and then being able to get onto a little rock outcrop and just look out forever. Um, yeah. And that's definitely the biggest difference between hunting New Hampshire and hunting Minnesota. Yeah, um, sure. To sure. the point where I get lost in Minnesota all the time because I'm just walking in circles. I have to yeah. like, in, in New Hampshire, I don't have to check my GPS ever yeah. because I went up the hill and I went right yeah. And yep. the truck is back downhill where I get in Minnesota and I'm like, which way are we going? Which way yeah, is everything back? Everything looks the same. For everything sure. Everything looks the same. Same thing um, with me and the Catskills and the Adirondacks. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you're going, you're going up or down, you know, and uh, uh, you, you have a lot of terrain features that can stand out, especially in the fall. And, um you know, yeah, you get to the lake states and, you know, more or less there's, there's a uh, very few hills and everything looks the same. And there's, uh, uh, everything, everything to the dog looks the same, you know, there's, there's no objective. There's not an orchard over here, or a Hawthorne Grove over there per se. It's uh-huh. just everything, everything looks the same. So, uh, definitely, um, when you're, when you're hunting in uh, New Hampshire, what kind of elevation are you guys hunting at? Oh, I could probably tell you. Hold on. Just curious. I, uh, uh, to the extent of my mountain hunting, most of the grouse in New York, uh, whether I was in the Cascades or the Adirondacks, and I'm sure they exist at higher elevations, but, um, you know, I, I always find most of mine, uh, pretty much between a thousand and 2,200 feet, um, regardless of what mountain I was on in terms of cover. That's where they were usually hanging out was in that one to 2000 range. Uh, most of the time I know down South, they're much higher than that, but. It's just interesting. Uh, a little, uh, technical issue there, but, uh, so you were able to find the, uh, uh, elevations that, that, um, you were having, uh, Contacts yeah, at. yeah. So, it, so in New Hampshire, it was actually pretty similar elevation um, between sixteen hundred and uh, two thousand feet. Yeah, yeah. About the elevation we we're at. Yeah. Whereas I, uh, <clears throat> in PA, sometimes I mean we're finding them, thankfully, still at like six hundred feet, uh, but it can go all the way up. To, I mean, our ideal covers are up closer to two thousand. Um, yeah. 
up, especially in like central New York or central Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, they're going to, uh, when habitat is, uh, uh, pressured in terms of quality, you know, obviously they're going to go to wherever they got to go that they're going to be able to survive. Um, so I'm sure that that can drive them up or down in elevation, but when there's, um, a good amount of habitat, um, the mountains that I've, that I've hunted, uh, across New York, um, you know, pretty much a thousand to 2000 feet, sometimes 2200. I hike up, you know, 4,000 feet and, you know, maybe find a few, but it's just interesting that that was a, a pretty, uh, common thread. And, um, it's been a long time since I've hunted up towards new England. So, uh, it's curious. And in, in PA also their, their new, um, the game commission's new management plan, I believe I was reading, they, they kind of mapped out the whole state based on elevation and their, Mm -hmm they're focusing on the ones that are around 2000. So I, I think, mm-hmm. I believe I could be wrong. I believe that's because West Nile is not as prevalent in higher elevations. Yeah. So, so they're, yeah. they're, they're taking those as a more, you know, a serious place to do the yeah. largest tracks of cutting, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. And, the, other, uh, the other cool thing is on DCNR land in P, in PA, um, when they cut, they normally wrap it with deer fence and oh, yeah? the, hmm. to keep the deer from uh, browsing it. And that's because mm-hmm. they're not, they're, they don't cut or they, 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 in the past, they didn't cut very large tracks. It was mm-hmm. smaller tracks and then they, they wrapped it up. Um, but it doesn't stop the deer from going in, but that's neither here nor there. They, um, the big thing is the price of fencing has like skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah. So, I think their one of their management plans is to now cut more so that they don't have to put a fence up, which is great. Yeah. I yeah, love that idea because yeah. it, it, it's going from you know much smaller tracks to very large tracks. Yeah, um, so at that. least at least inflation is going to benefit the Pennsylvania grouse population, huh? It sounds that oh. way. And RGS and uh, Ben Jones are doing you know they're putting a lot of a lot of work into PA. I'm seeing a lot of stuff come out about that. So it's it's. The the future is bright. It's exciting, and our and our numbers this year have been far superior to what people tell me years past have. Yeah. I mean, I've only I've only been doing it three years, so I can't I can't mm-hmm. speak to it much. Yeah. Um, but I I was pleasantly surprised by the amount we were able to move this year, and we ha- we had a fun year. Yeah. Well, I I have uh I have a lot of dogs uh, across Pennsylvania, and um, I don't know my uh my contacts, you know, um, for people that have been doing a long time, I mean, they're, they might not be, you know, littered all over the state, but, um, you know, and it might not be, they might not be raining birds, but I don't know, they've been doing, you know, pretty well. Uh, certainly for people that have, uh, um, a dog or two, um, you know, they have no problem getting a, a good number of contacts and, yeah. You know, I've talked to people before, um, past podcasts, uh, about, um, you know, for veteran hunters, you know, and I'm sure this would be no different for perhaps some, uh, veteran PA guys, you know, you, you can always skew your flush rates, you know, like for a season based on, you know, having, a uh, a healthy number of covers and just knowing what, what covers are more plentiful. But, um, you know, I think overall, uh, uh, PA, 
PAs uh, doing better from everything that I hear from from uh, my people, no, mm-hmm. no doubt. So. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the average I think is just under one an hour, and uh-huh. pretty much for the whole season we average over one an hour. So yeah, we uh, yeah. but we also I mean we didn't hunt close to home. And close to home is a little bit harder to get those numbers. So we, we traveled a lot in PA to get to higher, higher areas. And I completely forgot. I forgot to mention the most important um, mentee opportunity I had or mentor opportunity, and that was my dad. I was able wow. to bring my dad out, and he shot a grouse over Finn, and it was his first grouse. Oh, wow. On his first upland hunt, his first <laughs> shot, and he hit it. And I was like, and it was not lost on him. He he understood. Yeah. Um, he understood the complexity and the difficulty of what he pulled off. Uh-huh. Um, so uh-huh. it was that was that was probably the most special moment of the season. I can't believe I forgot to say that. Yeah. No, that's it. So so can we expect uh, him to be running his own setter this fall? <laughs> his own? No, but he will uh, gladly come back behind me and Finn. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. That's very I'm cool. trying to convince him to come to Maine for a week uh so he can experience you know yeah what a what you know what the a day world, that has a world 40, class grouse hunt can be. Yeah, yeah. A day that has, you know, forty or fifty flushes looks like. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it was it was it was great. Yeah. So um so tell us a little bit about Maine. Uh speaking of Maine. Um you know, uh, obviously, uh, for East Coasters, um, you 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 pretty much uh, you know drive north till you can't drive north no more. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but tell us about tell us about your your main experiences with Finn. Uh, so last year was our first year going to Maine, and he was five months old, and that's where his first wild bird contacts were. We I'd done a pigeon pull with him to you know, do a little bit once or twice with him. But that was, that was it. That was the first, his first experience was busting cover and busting birds in Maine. So it was pretty great. I had a blank pistol for his first walk. And, uh, I walked into the, walked into a corner, little corner cover and Jacob was at the road. And, uh, all of a sudden me and him are in there and I'm just hearing birds flushing like crazy. I hear woodcock, I hear grass, I hear everything. (laughs) And I'm just popping the blank pistol, you know, just to kind of, see how he would react to um, some gunfire and it unfazed. And I get back out to the truck with Finn and I said, man, did we have a good time in there? And he's like, oh, I heard and I saw. He said it was like a driven British hunt. There were just, he didn't have his gun on him. It was in the truck. There were just birds just flying out of that cover over Jacob's head. <laughs> so that was, that was his first experience. Um, and then later that day, we, uh, we shot, shot birds with him on the ground and he was just unfazed and found his... Uh, really found his new calling yeah. um, that trip. I think he, he, po- he pointed some grouse. He by no means held them till we were up to him, but he pointed some grouse and I, I shot one that he had uh, pointed and then broken on and flushed. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was just a really good time. Uh, he pointed a couple yeah. woodcock. It was, it was a blast. And then uh, this year, uh, we that was uh, we went back to New Hampshire once last year and he got some contacts there, but we really didn't run into, Last year, a lot of birds in PA. Uh, mm-hmm. I was traveling a lot. We just we found a good amount of woodcock, but just not as many grouse, at least with Finn on the ground. Uh, mm-hmm. So he was coming into this year with not, hadn't really had consistent grouse contact since, uh, you know, October the previous year. So mm-hmm. I, 
he was doing really well in Woodcock all spring. He had pointed a couple grouse in the summer kind of leading up to it. But I, I, I really didn't know what quite to expect. And in Maine, he didn't, he didn't do great on grouse. He pointed a, a couple, and I missed a couple for him. But he was also just bumping birds. And then when we went to New Hampshire with AJ the following week is when it just clicked. If you'd asked me before then, how's Finn do on grouse? I would have said, he is a great woodcock dog. Um, <laughs> and after that week, man, I could, he's a, he's a great little grouse dog. He, uh, he did, he did really well. He made plenty of mistakes, but we, we shot a lot of perfectly pointed birds over him and it was, it was a blast. And yes. you know, it's, it's the second season, it's his first real season, but his second season. So He's making a lot of mistakes and we're, I'm, I'm learning, I'm making mistakes. It's my first time. So sure, it's just, sure. It, it, it was, it was a really good time in Maine and New Hampshire this year. I was up there for almost a whole month. Um, so it was, it was, it was a really good time yeah. and we just both walked away, learned a lot and itch itching to get back. Yeah. No, that's uh Hey, having a, having fun doing it. Um, so with your um so do you do you do um filmmaking and photography full time? Yeah. So your... I'm 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 I do pretty much all I'm I'm Project Upland's lead filmmaker but I do that's that's a small portion of my work. The rest of my work is um locally and I do some traveling for it but just it is all filmmaking though. So I'm yeah. I'm a freelance filmmaker. So, so you're. I, I guess what, what I'm getting at is, uh, you you have the schedule flexibility to a degree to um, get a get some of the 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 golden time of the year uh, off to spend the time in the woods. Yeah. So I I I really like with Project Upland when we find films in obscure to film them in obscure times of the year that are not October. Um, so they, this year I filmed one in October, but it was in Maine. So it worked out great. The other ones yeah. were filmed in September, one in November, one in December, one in January. So it was, yeah. it was nice. I could spread them out, but yeah. So I, a lot of times in the fall, I take some, I take some time off, but I also do a lot of just editing and mm-hmm. post work, pre-production work and stuff like that, where I'm not actually filming in October. So that's going forward. That, that's, that would be the dream to just have, you know, desk work in October that I can do anywhere. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I did this year and it worked out really, really well. Cool. Very cool. Um, uh, you said that you had, uh, uh, gone down to New Mexico for scaled quail. Um, uh, what, uh, tell us a little bit about that project and, and, Yes, yeah, so that's with a gentleman named Ray Trejo. Um, he runs pointers down there, and um, it was really cool. It was uh, I wasn't quite sure what to expect, and then the first evening when I went out there, I went out on my own just to get some sunset shots in the in the desert. And the whole drive there from the airport, I was like, "Wow, this place is hot, dry, desolate." And when I got there, and the sun went down. I started looking around and I, there were gambles quail, there were jackrabbits, there were footprints everywhere. There was just so much, so much life where when you're just driving on the highway, you're like, nothing lives here. And then the next day with Ray, he's telling me all the species they have there of everything from mountain lions. They have bears there. They have uh, elk not far away. They like everything lives in this just arid, what looks to be an arid desert. So that was, that was probably the coolest takeaway from that was how much life was in a place that looked lifeless. And that might just be the East Coaster in me that, 
you know, even when I went to North Dakota, I felt the same way. I was like, how are there birds here? Like, this is like scrubby grass everywhere. And you're telling me we're going to move 200 birds today? Like, yeah, yeah. it's nuts. So <laughs> that was that was definitely one of the coolest parts is just the amount of uh, wildlife that was there. Um, but the birds overall, they they had a good uh, rain this uh, this this summer. So they had a lot of cover, which makes the birds hold pretty tight. So birds were holding really tight, and uh, the coveys were much bigger than I expected. I didn't look up how many were in a covey, but my only covey bird that I've seen is huns, and they can have a big covey, but most of the time, you know, maybe 15 or 20 are getting out of there. But, I mean, there were just coveys of, like, 40 birds mm-hmm. uh, of scaled quail, and I was it was it was pretty insane. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, overall, really cool experience. Um, fast little birds, but... Uh, didn't, I, I, I didn't shoot, so I can't tell you that the shooting looked easy, but I think everything looks easy after you're trying to sling, sling lead at, at grouse. So everything looks easy after that, but I would have to go uh, back and try with, try to, to give you a correct verdict on it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, uh, was that just uh, strictly a work trip or you able to get thin on the ground? Uh, I flew out there, so I, yeah. I I didn't bring him. That was strictly work. I've 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 been able to in the past kind of meld them together, and what I've found is it's just better if I don't buy my license because mm-hmm. when I when I'm filming, I'm like ah, oh, I wish I was holding the gun right now, and then when I'm holding the gun, I'm like ah, oh, I should probably be filming right now. So <laughs> if I can tag an extra day on the end to hunt, then I'll do it. But I've I've pretty much stopped myself from. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, indulging just because I, I, I know I will have internal battles the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so when you uh, did the film with Steven, did you guys did you guys do that in Minnesota or did you do that in North Carolina? So we did it in both. I had oh. gone out to take some photos for Upland Gun Company and then also tagged a day on of filming with Steven. So it was it was really cool. I got to kind of start his season out and then finish it out in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, that's cool. So are you guys in North Carolina just focusing on woodcock or did you go up up and up and up to to find some grouse as well? So he um he guides both there. Um I I believe it's primarily woodcock that he guides there. So we 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 just did the woodcock. I know he does grouse there too, but we we were just doing the woodcock. Yeah, yeah, cool. Which um, was uh, was definitely a fun experience. It was def- also the cover there. I mean, we went into one that was super thick, but, I mean, there were so many covers that were some wide open, which was great for filming. It allowed me to get some shots that in normal Northwoods cover I would not be able to get. So that was that was really fun. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the struggle is real for getting good quality uh, uh, grouse hunting footage. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know. it's not not easy. I've uh, I I continually try to though it is my mission this fall. Um, but I I continually try. Uh, I try with the GoPro and uh, it just gets knocked off the head all the time. And it's always. I bought uh, I bought a really nice GoPro last year. Yeah. And I told myself I was gonna you know make some cool videos just for myself. You know, I'd talk to camera at the end of the hunt and recap it for myself as a way to like digitally. Um, preserve the memories and stuff and i didn't use it once yeah when i'm yeah. when i'm out there i'm just like i would much rather not have to worry about it and yeah. when when my work is filming it's like 
it's kind of nice to be able to just enjoy it. So I, I, I think as, you know, as I get more accustomed to it and I mean, I'm sure the fantasy of fall will never go away, but you know, some years down the road, it might be like, all right, me and Finn got this game figured out. Let's, let's try to do something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on. Yeah. No, I, I think, uh, I just have to leave my gun at home is the bottom line. I, I, uh, <laughs> I need to just have my, have my phone out or, or, you know, a small camera and, and, uh, film the hunt, uh, minus any, any shooting. Cause I, unfortunately I still have enough killer instinct in me that, uh, you know, if we get one bird, I'm good, you know, just, uh, feel good once the dog's got his bird in its mouth that it's earned, you know, but, um, it's, uh, it's a nonstop adrenaline rush. So, uh, it can be hard to to put the gun down sometimes, and I got a lot of dogs, so I, I try to give them all their fair their fair shake. But uh, filming in the woods has been a a, a constant challenge um, uh, for for sure. So um, one of these one of these days it'll happen. Um, yeah. So, but not uh, easy. No, it's certainly not. Um, so, uh, cool. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, we kind of covered all your bases and, um, I, I just want, really wanted to, uh, have a conversation with you, um, being a a later onset hunter and, you know, kind of jumping, uh, with both feet into this world and, uh, seeing how passionate you are about it. Um, and you've, again, you've had a, a good number of, uh, interesting, worldly experiences in a short period of time so um you know uh some some good uh good little stories there uh to share but um anything you want to tell our listeners before we wrap things up um i I can't really think of anything uh i think we we kind of covered it all i mean i'm you know we're we're all just out there trying to make fall last longer and help it to hurry up, you know, because it's, yeah. it's it's an intoxicating time of year. Um, I'm looking right now at Jay Dowd's. Uh, uh, I bought from him a uh, one of his bandanas that says oh. October Souls, and it's it's really, you know, in such a quick amount of time, what's happened to me, and it's that yeah. that that precious time has, you know, become quite important to me. So it's yeah. a it's a fun time of year. And I mean, there there are things I enjoy the rest of the time of the year. Now, now we're in fly fishing season, so we're mm-hmm. we're planning a lot of trips and stuff like that. But you know, fall's always in the back of the mind. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I enjoy every part of the hunting season. Um, but obviously, everybody loves October, and it's one of those things where, like, you're like you wait and wait. October's come. October's ah, October's here. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it's already the tenth of October. <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it, it, thankfully, it, it's, thankfully for us, some of our best hunting here in Pennsylvania is November and even yes. into December. So yep. it's nice to head north and enjoy October up there when it's best there. And then I yep. come home because, you know, the, our opener, October 15th, can be hot and there's mm-hmm. leaves aren't even changed colors at this point. So it's, it's probably equivalent to your guys's, you know, end of September. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, when, um, so for eight years before I, I moved to, uh, Michigan full time, I would commute back and forth. I'd stay out here for two months and, uh, and for the early season. And then I would go back to, to New York. Um, and I would, 
hunt until the end of February. And Man, that late uh, season it was, is not easy. Yeah, yeah, no, late season is late season is hard. I mean, you're fighting for flushes, you know. Uh, December grouse hunting and beyond in terms of the calendar is uh, is difficult no matter where you are. Um, but uh, it was like a time warp, you know. If I left, you know, beginning of November, I'd be like leaving, you know, Michigan with a pending one foot blizzard. And as I would like be driving across PA and I get to the New York border and I get like halfway across the southern tier, like <laughs> like leaves could still almost be green. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was very very different. But yes, the uh, uh, I do have to say, given the amount of snow we have gotten uh, here in the North Country uh, this year, um, and looking at all my New York buddies hunting pretty much the entire season with zero snow on the ground. Um, yeah, well, they just got it now. They just got two yeah. feet up there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right when the season o- is over. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's quite uh, uh, quite different. But I, I'll make another trip back there. But I'll I'll wait until uh the peak year uh comes around in the very near future and maybe i'll make a late season pass out that direction but yeah. um so uh well kevin it was uh really nice to talk to you this is our first time chatting and um uh if uh, you, if you're coming out to minnesota or that way um you know at all let me know and if, if i have time in my schedule i'd love to meet you in person and uh, maybe we yeah, can that would be a blast with, yeah yeah, yeah, I'd love so. to. I'd love to see your dogs run. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate being on the show, and uh, look forward to uh, taking a listen to this myself at a later time. And uh, be well. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Setter Talk. I'm Kyle Warren, your host. This is Kevin Erdvig, our guest. And give her, give all your dogs a scratch in the head for me. Have a good day. Mm-hmm.